0: Welcome to Emotional and Spiritual Well-Being, the podcast that balances psychology and spirituality, helping you achieve well-being by discussing how the mind, will, and emotions interplay with the spiritual and physical. Here is your host, Sharon Wegman. Hi, this is Sharon Wegman from Wellspring Solutions, and today I'm joined by Kate Byler one of my other therapists here at Wellspring Solutions. And today we're going to be talking about how trauma impacts how we relate to other people. Mm-hmm. So I, Kate and I both work at Wellspring Solutions in Missing, Pennsylvania. And um, trauma is a passion of ours in this practice because I don't think we, the general society doesn't understand how much it impacts
1: Right. And then half of our clients, at least for me, okay. my experiences, when I tell when they tell me their story and I tell them that's trauma, they're like, what? <laughs> and so even figuring that out gives them a lot of knowledge and empowerment to know that maybe some of the things they're struggling with aren't because they're defective or something's wrong with them, but because of what they've been through.
0: Absolutely. So everybody has a story and even Small, embarrassing stories that happen in kindergarten mm-hmm. impact us mm-hmm. in how we view our world. Probably the earlier things happen, mm-hmm. the more it impacts how we view our world and how we control our world. And so it's so important for us to understand how the traumas that happen to us in the first, first 12 to 16 years impact how we relate to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, remember, we're just going to keep repeating this because we don't know if you've ever listened to any of our podcasts before. But attachment with a significant parent person happens between zero and three. Mm-hmm. So, depending on what kind of attachment we have there, that impacts how we perceive the world, yeah, how we sure. interact the world, and then our world view happens between zero and twelve. Which is so sad because Mm -hmm. we have no control over anything that happens in that portion of our life.
1: And you don't know how to process things at that age either. Right. You don't. It's not like a 10 year old can come up and say what their coping mechanism is or like how they're relating to another human. They're just watching and learning.
0: Right. And they're just going with whatever their parents are doing. Mm -hmm. So if their parent doesn't give them um, comfort for something, they perceive. I don't need comfort for that Mm -hmm. because they're not actually perceiving things from a different point of view where we as adults, we can now say, oh, that's so sad. Mm -hmm. I wish that parent should have comforted you at that point in time. But if you didn't know that. Right. It's not your normal. Right. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people don't even know that today. Mm -hmm. So today, uh, Kate, why don't you introduce like why we want to talk about this?
1: Well, we've just found that, like, I mean, I guess within, like, our sessions with clients, right, there's just, like, a theme of powerlessness when it comes to their relationships. And a lot of negative, maybe, coping mechanisms you held on to were learned at that young age after a trauma or through a trauma you now carry into adulthood, even though you think you might have moved on from that trauma. So there's an imbalance of like, oh, I moved on from this, but we still hold these negative things that hold us back from living full relationships.
0: Absolutely. So even that um, kindergarten story that happened to you that was so shameful and so upsetting creates new—you began starting coping mechanisms at a very early age, mm-hmm. and you're just not even aware of it. Right. Because it's become part of who you are right so let's talk about it
1: so like and part of all this is like when something major happens again we kind of repeat stuff if you haven't listened to our podcast but when something major happens a kind of core neural pathway like forms and like your brain just keeps kind of bouncing off of that like this is what you learn this is what you know so some of those things might be what it does it look like to evaluate a safe versus
0: unsafe relationship? Right, right. So, if I had to depend Mm -hmm. on somebody unsafe, Mm -hmm. I won't know I should not depend on somebody that is unsafe. Right. Right. So, that core pathway of Mm -hmm. I ignore danger Mm -hmm. makes us have repetitive experiences until we understand what we need to do to change our brain. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And so we find that at least a lot of between the young adults and adults that come into our practice is there is not a very healthy balance of healthiness in their relationships. Meaning maybe a trauma was done to you and say um, say you were just maybe emotionally abused as a little kid. Um well, now we cling and cling and cling and we're codependent to a relationship to a point where it's unhealthy as an adult. Or maybe we go on the opposite end and we completely isolate ourselves and don't have
0: any friendships.
1: Right. We, don't, we, we find that a lot of people have a hard time finding that balance of what is
0: a healthy relationship. Exactly. And, and that's why this going to therapy is so important because mm-hmm. we need to understand and define what intimacy is. Because mm-hmm. if intimacy wasn't devi- de- defined mm-hmm. in a healthy way for mm-hmm. us, whether there was sexual abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse right If any type of abuse or trauma existed in our intimate relationships, then relationships in general become dangerous to us yeah and I
1: think I think something that like seems to be a relief when I let my clients know this is like, Don't be ashamed of how you've built up relationships or how your brain experiences relationships right now. Like, if you're hearing this and you're like, oh, wow, like, I definitely have codependent friendships or I definitely can't get close to anyone. um, Really, like, your brain is actually trying to save you from danger. Yes. It's just not in the way you need it now. We need good friends. We need healthy friendships. But your brain just doesn't understand that until you're able to work that out in therapy. So really, like— your brain is doing its job because what it doesn't want to feel is those exact feelings of
0: trauma you felt when you were little. That's a really good analogy. It is. And so our brain is just trying to protect us. And part of therapy is we dissect your story to the point where we pick pick out moments where you should have received comfort. Mm-hmm. We pick out moments in which somebody wasn't safe. And as we begin to identify those things, your, your just truth sets your brain free right it literally changes the way your brain thinks right
1: um and so we kind of gonna move into how like if you've experienced trauma in what ways does that mean how you experience intimacy now
0: right right? So. So the first one that I'm thinking of is sometimes it takes on a need for exclusivity. Mm-hmm. So that can look different in lots of di- different situations. So exclusivity means I might control the relationship in some way. Mm-hmm. This is where we might become codependent. Mm-hmm. I, if I control your behavior, I'm not going to feel pain. hmm If I am possessive of you and don't allow you to engage with other people, you're not going to be dangerous. So there's a lot more trauma-based coping. Mm -hmm. It's not that any controlling person doesn't want to be controlling. Right. They don't. But they're doing it because there was some type of danger in their past relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people will say, oh, they're so controlling. I'm like, then they must have a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. And where do they have that fear? Um, so anything else you want to say on exclusivity? Yeah, I think to,
1: like, add on to that is, like, being needed um, is highly important to you, almost to, like, the core of your identity at times. So, like, maybe you grew up in a home where, like, you... Um, like maybe took care of a sick parent all the time, or whatever it might be, where you were you were the one people relied on in your family, basically. Well, now, and no one really gave you the love and nurture you needed. Well, now your friendships, like you are always relied on, you need to be needed, and it becomes this unhealthy obsession because if we're not needed, then we don't feel worth.
0: Right, and exactly. it's how we like, yeah, feel in control, I guess. Right. So I make myself to the point where I am needed and you will not abandon me. And that's the way I control it mm-hmm. through that type of exclusivity. Mm-hmm. And so even people pleasers are are doing it as a way of controlling their trauma. Yeah. Right. Um, the next one is um, you might sabotage a mm-hmm. lot of mm-hmm. relationships because, again— if intimacy is dangerous because of whatever your story was
1: mm-hmm.
0: then you have to sabotage any type of relationship this one's a little harder to recognize because mm-hmm. people are not aware that they're they're purposely sabotaging relationships yeah absolutely and i sometimes i tell clients
1: like if it feels uncomfortable, like in a way where it's new, like a feeling loved by this person feels uncomfortable or feeling safe, feels uncomfortable, like press into that a little bit because usually what's comfortable is maybe being treated poorly, maybe being used. Yes. And so being uncomfortable in a way that the uncomfortability results in like positive adjectives <laughs> that you like pushing into that. Um,
0: right. So if it's uncomfortable, it may be right, mm-hmm. but it. But the only way we're going to be able to weigh that out is maybe talking to a therapist. Right, exactly. Because we also have warning bells inside of us Mm -hmm. that tell you this person is dangerous. But lots of times we hear that warning bell going off when it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So we can inadvertently sabotage relationships maybe by... Um, laying into a person verbally, um, avoiding people, just purposing to make that person pursue you Mm -hmm. instead of being a mutual relationship. Mm -hmm. The only way I know this person is safe is if they pursue me. But what about you? Mm -hmm. Do you have to pursue them? (laughs) Right. Or finding
1: flaws in people, nitpicking to the point where it's like, There's something wrong with them, so I can't be friends with them. And again, when we say intimacy, we mean friendships, any type of relationship, not just sexual intimacy. Right, no. Um, But just where you can learn to be vulnerable.
0: Definitely, definitely. Um, Another area that I was thinking about it is I could avoid intimacy with people because then I don't have to feel danger. Mm -hmm. And that might look like being very individualistic, doing a lot of isolation, spending a lot of alone time. Mm -hmm. I think
1: like when I meet people and I've hung out with them a certain amount of times and it's still only small talk, even after I've decided to be vulnerable, that is an idea, too, of like what are what are they afraid of pressing into because it's like. I don't know. You can't see me right now, (laughs) but my hands are holding up like a wall, right? So this person has a pretty thick wall where it's like letting someone in is danger because it would make sense if they have been through a trauma when they were little and people abused and used them. Why would you want to let people in? So again, it's like going back to those places and repairing those moments so you can let safe people in.
0: Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, safe people might not cross those boundaries. Right. And p- force you to go behind beyond the small talk. Mm-hmm. Because they feel the boundary mm-hmm. and they respect the boundary. Right. So sometimes we kind of that's how we really do sabotage because mm-hmm. the safest people probably aren't gonna be boundary crossers. Yeah, they're gonna
1: respect, you know, that you're gonna open up when you wanna open up.
0: Exactly. So what I what my cue for my clients is. Whatever you would normally say, add three more sentences or an entire paragraph. Mm -hmm. Because if you're self-protective due to a dangerous story in your past, in your level of intimacy, your only way you're going to know is if you go a little bit further. Mm -hmm. So I make everybody add a couple sentences or add a paragraph to just get a feel for, is this safe? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So
1: isolating is a way to cope and what you learn to cope or what you learn to be
0: safe. Sure. And and that doesn't mean, and when we say isolation, uh, we're not even talking about introverts because mm-hmm. introverts can be around people. Mm-hmm. It's not that they are isolating as a trauma coping skill. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just that they need the alone time to just process all their thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's, let's kind of break apart being introverted via via, except from isolation um so that's one I was thinking about let's talk about how that plays itself out even in the sexual relationship
1: yeah I think that's really complicated (laughs) we could probably do a whole couple podcasts on that but I mean I think in general it stunts like your idea of intimacy and I think A lot of, like, the work I'm passionate about is working with sexual abuse victims. And a lot of times it's, first of all, validating that, like, it's okay that you want to feel safe and that certain things are triggering. Because sexual abuse, we were saying earlier, is, like, affects mind, body, soul, spirit, everything to your core. Um, Because it is so intimate and invasive and someone violated you in that way. Well, you might just have to learn to start being kind to yourself to know, hey, like, these are my boundaries. And communicating, that's why therapy is so important because sometimes you don't know what those are. You don't. You don't. unless you talk about it, it definitely is going to affect your marriage or, you know, those types of relationships.
0: Right. So we always encourage people who come in here, we do extensive use of workbooks Mm -hmm. and books because we just literally have to retrain all the ways— the trauma has impacted how we're relating. Mm -hmm. And it's so many different ways. Even how we use religion or how we don't use religion Mm -hmm. can be very sourced from Mm -hmm. a trauma response in Mm -hmm. our childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a common thing that most people don't understand um, because that means I have to lean into a God. Mm-hmm. And that's super scary because God allowed bad things to mm-hmm. happen to me because mm-hmm. He has a, His just allows us to have free will. So He can't necessarily control it. Mm-hmm. So, how our God image is formed is very trauma based many times.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that that reminds me of like, so how you see God, but then how you see men, how you see people. Like, we forget that. You know, pivotal moments in our brain change the chemistry of it forever for how we see someone or or feel fear or on edge. And that's a lot of stuff we do at the practice too, here is like help educate people. Like, you probably feel hypervigilant when you're in a, when a man's standing behind you in line because of maybe what happened to you. Doesn't mean that man's a predator, but it's okay if you feel on edge. And here's how we can help you. And so that interacts with all of the,
0: all your intimacy going forward. Yeah, so the biggest thing is get in here to therapy <laughs> <laughs> and tell your story and and figure out your story so that we can really help you figure out what are your trauma coping skills because we just, sometimes most people don't know what their trauma coping skill is. Oh, for is.
1: sure. And because it's your normal for so long, it, it just is like what you do. Like, right. you don't see that as causing harm.
0: Exactly. And and that even goes into self-harm mm-hmm. as adults. Right. You know, maybe you as a young adult who was just learning to have feelings didn't know how to process those feelings. Mm-hmm. Listen to our self-harm podcast. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you didn't know how to process feelings, so you just acted on them and used self-harm. Mm-hmm. But adults do it too, mm-hmm. and it just looks different. Yeah, it
1: can look like... Being obsessed with, I think for women, what comes to mind is being obsessed with how we look. Whether that be exercising, controlling our eating. I I know men struggle with that too, but that definitely is like a route that's easy for women to go down. To is um, being being able to control to the point where it's you know taking up all
0: your time, right? So we might use um, our physical appearance, Mm -hmm. and that means we might do a lot of things in an obsessive way Mm -hmm. to keep ourselves from feeling dangerous. Mm -hmm. And what that means is if that was a point in which I was abused because of my weight, because Mm -hmm. of whatever or what things. And we we don't even recognize sometimes that we've been abused. It's just something that was talked about all the time. Mm -hmm. So as a result of that, I might be very trauma-focused on my weight as a way to protect myself from Mm -hmm. feeling pain. Right. Um, another universal one is probably work. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Um, spending so much time at work that you are choosing not to feel or deal thing deal with things that you might need to or it's just a new way to cope. Sure.
0: So so work can be addiction, mm-hmm. right? Um drugs can be an addiction, mm-hmm. alcohol can be an addiction, internet, mm-hmm. gaming. All name these ad- it, yeah. <laughs> I mean you name it, anything can become an addiction, but mm-hmm. what does the addiction do? Mm-hmm. It causes us to not feel pain. Right. So our addiction is very trauma-based. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because I inherited it. I may have inherited it because it was how I was taught to cope. Mm-hmm. It's not like necessarily genetic. Right. Um any other ways we self harm maybe not sleeping, yeah, maybe just any type of self care we might not do self care right um, we might work in excess, and that's our way of feeling not traumatized, so even in the Pennsylvania Dutch culture i I say when I have somebody in here they're like. I can't sit still. If I do, I immediately feel lazy. And I'm like, where does that come from? Mm-hmm. It's a message that they heard mm-hmm. repeatedly in their lifetime. And so as a result of that, they have great difficulty giving themselves the care that they need mm-hmm. because it feels more dangerous to not do something. Mm-hmm. Than to just give themselves rest and care.
1: Right. And it's like, I think the hard part with all of this too is sometimes like your parents or caregivers don't necessarily have to explicitly talk about their, this is what you watch, right? So if you just watch your parents work their whole life and don't take time for themselves, well, we just do what we learn. Like we do what we know and we can't expect ourselves to do anything better until we teach ourselves how to. So it is can always just be what m- is modeled to you, too. You don't have to be sitting here and being like, oh, well, my parents never said that to me.
0: <laughs> no, but they modeled it to yeah. <laughs> you. And what is more truth? Words or actions, mm-hmm. people. It's the actions. Mm-hmm. So even if they say one thing and do the other, their truth was their actions. Right. Because um, probably no one would say it is evil to rest. No. Right. But— They choose to not do it. Mm -hmm. That's speaking a whole other thing. Oh, great. We got a chainsaw outside our window.
1: Hopefully, you can hear
0: that that much. (laughs) We got all kinds of things going on here right now. Um, Um, What else, Kate?
1: I guess that just transitions into one of our last points, which is how the way you were parented, if that was traumatic as a child, that means when you have your own children you want to control them not being traumatized. So you're almost living the life you wish you had sometimes through your child, which gets really messy. Absolutely,
0: (laughs) absolutely, because you are more triggered by that scenario than the child is. Mm -hmm. And so you're bringing so much anxiety into that scenario Mm -hmm. that the child isn't experiencing. Right. Until you model it for them. Right. So like if you,
1: I'm just totally making up an example off the top of my head. If you had an encounter, if as a female, maybe you had an encounter at a movie theater or a mall where a male maybe groped or touched you, right? So, and you... Hated how you felt. It was very. It felt very shameful, etc. Well, now your child doesn't get to go to the mall by themselves when they're an appropriate age to, as a teenager. But they didn't live your trauma. So that's what I'm talking about. Is like there's you want to make sure, but they didn't live your life, and that's that's a hard thing I think for the mind to understand.
0: Absolutely. So again, we can parent out of trauma Mm -hmm. and control it by controlling our children mm-hmm. by controlling the things that happen to them mm-hmm. and that actually doesn't help them <laughs> at all because mm-hmm. uh, if like we have sometimes like parents won't give their kids any kind of electronic device until a very lengthy time in mm-hmm. and I'm like but you're not teaching them right. how to monitor themselves mm-hmm. you're not teaching them how to do that you're just controlling it mm-hmm. for yourself mm-hmm. Well, I'm controlling it for them, too. Well, fine. Put software on there. Put Bark on Mm -hmm. there. Put other software on there so you know where they're going. Right. Have, like, time limits depending on what the electronic is. Sure. Like,
1: you can still be the parent, but allow your kid to be in the times. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's just culturally, you just have to kind of let your kid be in the culture that they're in, but talk them through it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so— I think that's a that's a big one for a lot of parents, yeah, controlling technology mm-hmm. and access to technology, mm-hmm. and understandably so mm-hmm. with what's going on for sure, but that's where you have to stay very involved in mm-hmm. that process mm-hmm. and that can be more triggering for parents yeah than than not and it is work like <laughs> it is work it's work, so. Um, But that's what parenting is, is learning, teaching your children how to be empowered. Because I'll have kids who were very controlled in their childhood. They leave for college. They go off the deep end. Oh, man. Because they have no internal sense of self-control because they weren't taught self-control. Control came from parents.
1: Right, or maybe they were so protected because the parent wishes their parent would have protected them that now when bad things happen, they don't know how to handle it. Yes, exactly. And that's like, that's hard. That's really hard to be a young adult and then have your first stressful, traumatic thing happen and you don't know how to handle handle it.
0: You don't know how to go and talk to an authority figure because your parents did it for you. You don't know how to advocate for self Mm -hmm. because your parents did it for you. And so sometimes we can really parent out of trauma. Yeah. And we understand it. You're just trying to control it. (laughs) But controlling it doesn't heal it. Yeah. Learning about self is what heals it.
1: Yeah. And then eventually, like, once you learn about your own stuff, you don't have to feel so anxious for your kids. It actually feels better.
0: (laughs) I know. I'm I'm hearing this chainsaw outside our window, and I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, <laughs> all distracted here. <laughs> okay, anything uh, else that we thought? Yeah, I think, that was, that yeah, was I think that's list. really good. So I just really want to encourage everyone to seek out a therapist if you do these any of these three main behaviors. Um, and the three main behaviors are: do I use exclusivity to control the danger in some way? Mm-hmm. Do I sabotage relationships? To control the danger, Mm -hmm. and do I avoid intimacy with people to control the danger? Mm -hmm. All of what we talked about falls under those three areas. Mm -hmm. So, uh, feel free to give us a call if you're interested in doing counseling. We do telehealth, Mm -hmm. so we can even see you outside of our area. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, have a great day, guys. See ya. Thanks for listening to Emotional and Spiritual Well Being with Sharon Wegman. For more resources or to have Sharon speak at your meeting or event, please visit wellspringssolutions.com.